What good is a promise? So many get broken, remain unfulfilled, should never have been made in the first place or believed. For every promise kept, we can name two that others have broken or ten we failed to keep ourselves. But God, when God makes a promise, there is no breaking, no failure, no maybe, no might, no probably. For what God has sworn, he will do. Well, good morning, family. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Brady and I have the honor of serving as pastor at CTK Downtown. I am so thankful for the opportunity to share with you today because at CTK, we believe that we are one church across multiple locations. And so today we have this beautiful opportunity of not just saying that with our words, but actually modeling that by having Kua and myself join you today from downtown. It is truly our honor and privilege to worship alongside you today. See, when Pastor Grant first asked me to preach today, I was ecstatic. I was like, yes, let's do this. And then we started talking more, and he said, he said yeah, we're doing a series called Sworn. And, and Sworn, we're going to be talking about claiming the promises of God. Now, there's a couple of things you need to know about me. First, I am proudly from Texas. If you've ever been to Texas, you know it's a very different world than it is up here. Much worse coffee much uglier scenery, and I'll even say it, much worse weather. I'm probably the only person in human history that has moved to the Pacific Northwest for the weather. But being from Texas, I grew up in what's called the Bible Belt. I would even say I grew up in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. My city had more churches per square mile than any other city in America. And because I grew up in the Bible Belt, I've seen the promises of God become so ordinary, so commonplace, so overused, and people use them so flippantly that I would actually say that they have been abused. I still remember this time I was in a store, and I went to the cash register, and there was a poster behind the cash register, and it had Jeremiah 2911 plastered across the back. You know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not to harm you, but to have you prosper, to give you a hope and a future, and it was beautiful. There was an eagle and a sunset, and it was majestic, and I looked at the, the owner of the business, and I said, why do you have Jeremiah 29, 11? He looked and he was like, oh, well, that's because I'm claiming the promises of God that my business will prosper. As a pastor, I had to bite my tongue because if you read, say, Jeremiah 28, uh, Jeremiah 29 is about how Jerusalem has just been laid waste by the Babylonian Empire, how all of Israel has been taken off to Babylon as slaves and captives, as an oppressed people group, and it's in that place of oppression that God says, I haven't forgotten about you. But by the way, it's gonna be 70 years before I bring you back home. So most of you are gonna die, but I will bring your children back home. So it has very little to do with a small business in West Texas. I say that to say I get a bit, well, I get a bit squirmy whenever I hear people claiming the promises of God. But as I spoke to Grant and as I spoke to Brian, I have to say I'm so honored and so excited to be part of a church that wants to preach what the Bible says instead of what people hope the Bible says. And so today, we're going to discuss a biblical promise, which is God's mercy. 
Now, I'm going to be using mercy a lot today, so let me first define it for us. The Cambridge Dictionary defines mercy as kindness shown towards someone whom you have the right or power to punish. The Bible takes a slightly different angle. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, there's the word racham. It's, it's the root word comes from a mother's womb. It's to bring to mind this tender, caring love that a mother has and that that's how God feels towards his people. It usually refers to this deep love that a superior like a king or a parent has towards an inferior like a subject or a child. In this time, God towards us. And so that's what we're exploring today. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Lamentation 3, verse 21. Uh, but we will have the words on the screen for you. This is what the Lord writes. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. See, family, this scripture has gotten me through some dark days. This promise has helped anchor me to weather through the storms of life and continually come back to the ways of God when I undoubtedly have veered off course. Because like I said, I, raised, I was raised in the Bible Belt where People put Bible verses on shirts and bumper stickers, and they cross-stitched them on pillows, and yes, they had posters with eagles and sunsets. I was so filled and inundated with Bible and Christian culture that yes, I saw some good, but I also saw a lot of the bad. And it was the bad of the church, the hypocrisy, the judgment, the holier-than-thou attitude, the selfishness, the pride, the, the kind of closing off your doors to anyone who doesn't look quite right to you. That, it was that, that like many of us at the age of 18, I saw all of that and I said, I don't want this anymore. This Jesus thing, it's just not for me. And like many of us, whenever we uncouple ourselves from the ways of God, this led me on a crash course of self-destruction through partying and drugs. I was left completely broken. I was living with my girlfriend at the time. I was depressed, bordering on suicidal. I was flunking out of college. I was hooked on drugs, alcohol, and partying. I mean, I couldn't buy my own cigarettes. Do you know how low you have to be to be a junkie who can't buy his own cigarettes? It was a dark place. My world was dark. And yet it was in that dark moment that God's mercy broke through the darkness. And so family, if there's nothing else you hear today, please hear this. Even in the darkest places of our lives, God's mercies are new every morning and they never come to an end. And God's mercy broke in in a way I was not expecting because I got busted. I got found out. All my garbage, all my addiction, everything came to the surface and it was painful. But that's the thing about God's mercy. A lot of times it doesn't feel like mercy in the moment. And hear me, yes, there are times where God's mercy is gentle and kind, but a lot of times it's painful because our sin is being brought out into the light, and we don't enjoy that. It's only once we look back that we see the mercy of God so deeply involved in those moments to bring our brokenness to the light so that we can find healing. 
And it's true because as I think back to whenever I got found out, I remember it was gut-wrenching. It was one of the most painful moments of my life. But if there's one thing that I remember, the very first thing that comes to mind is not the pain, is not the difficulty, is not the discomfort, but it's how I now see how Jesus was so incredibly merciful to me, how he was so close in that moment. See, it was in this moment of my family finding out about all my stuff, all my addictions, all my lies, all the stealing and manipulation, all of it coming to the light, that finally I was able to begin to heal from all of that. And now hear me, I still had to walk the long road of recovery and restoration. Many of you in this church community are walking the road right now, which is why I love my church so much. But God's mercy, that's the beautiful thing about it, is he wasn't done with me yet. I found out about an organization called Narrowgate. Narrowgate is an outdoor discipleship ministry that takes men between the ages of 18 and 25. And when young men are wandering through life, unsure of what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to go, Narrowgate takes those men and plops them in the middle of the woods, living under a tarp so they can get away from all the noise, all the distractions, all the, dis- all the comforts, all the everything, and answer, one, or answer two questions. Who am I and why am I here? And at first, if I'm honest with you today, I didn't think that I needed to go. But God got my attention in a big way, and soon I found myself living under a tarp in Tennessee. It was painful in the moment, but it was yet another mercy. And it was in that place that Jesus radically met me in my brokenness with his mercy and grace and compassion, that Jesus looked on me, this scrawny junkie from Texas that probably weighed 125 pounds soaking wet, and yet Jesus looked at me and said, I want you. I want you to come back home. It was in this place living in the woods with a couple of other young men that I found authentic Christian community that wasn't freaked out about my past, wasn't scared off by what I had done, and definitely wasn't scared to engage me with my questions and my discomforts and, and, and my, my reservations towards organized religion, towards the Bible, towards Jesus and the church. And it was in that place of people engaging me where I was at that I found love. I found acceptance. I found people who showed up for me, and I had people who were wise enough to see in me what I didn't see in myself and then call that out and speak it over my life as a blessing. It was a divine mercy. And yeah, there were moments that it was hard, but there were also moments that were so gentle because God's mercy is new every morning and it never comes to an end. Now, from there, God wasn't done with me yet. He called me on this amazing adventure where I lived on the mission field in Germany and India. I met the love of my life, and it was there that I felt confirmed and began to pursue my calling as a pastor. And so I did what I thought I was supposed to do. I went to school, and I went to more school. And I went to more school. I don't know why. I think I'm a glutton for punishment, but I felt like God was calling me to go to a lot of school to be a pastor, But it was in that place of school and working that I started an amazing, beautiful family. Here is my family and us at the Grand Canyon. And it was in this time that my wife and I, we had this amazing, beautiful daughter. Look at her, isn't she? She's cooler than I will ever be, ever in my life. Look at how cool she is. But all of this church, 
All of this, the calling over my life, my wife, my daughter, everything hangs on the fact that God's mercy is new every morning and it never comes to an end. And it's about this time that most testimonies end, right? You're probably thinking, wow, what a great story. He, he went from being a junkie to a pastor. He's got a beautiful family, like kudos to this guy. But that's the thing about God's mercy and his promises is that he's really good at keeping his promises and they just keep coming. Because even in my life of faith and in my walk of discipleship, there are still days that I completely blow it. There are nights that I just make a mess of things. And it's on those nights, those dark nights where I come face to face with my brokenness and I feel the lies of the enemy creeping over me, the shame, the, the, the telling me that I'll never get past it, that I'll never get past my problems, that I'll never be able to get over my sin and hearing those lies spoken over me, that it's on those moments that I need to claim that with the rising sun, even in that dark moment, even in that dark night, that when the sun rises, God's mercy will be new for me that morning too and it will never come to an end. I need his mercy to be new every morning because I still have sin and brokenness in my life. I don't get things right the first time or the second time or the hundredth time. I need his mercy to never come to an end because I am thick-headed. I am stubborn. God has to get my attention many times for me to learn my lessons. If there was a limit to God's mercy, I probably would have maxed out my account by now, right? And I'm not the only one. We need to get this family. We need to understand this in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls. We need his mercy to be new and never ending. We need to claim this promise for ourselves. And so family, as you learn about the promises of God throughout this entire series, there's one thing that I hope you remind yourself and remember every week that we gather together as a church family. The promises are anchored on God's character, not your performance. Let me say that again. The promises are anchored on God's character, not your performance. And praise God, right? If it was built on my performance, I would have been dead on arrival. It's God's character and Jesus' perfection that holds this together. Not how good you are, how clean you are, how wholesome you are, or how perfect you look from the outside. It is solely on God and Christ making a way for you and not based on your job performance. And I need that. I need a God whose commitment to me does not waver, even when my commitment to him wavers. I need his mercy when I undoubtedly screw up and sin against him. And this promise reveals this truth, that we can blow it, we can fail, we can be far from God. And every morning as the sun rises and creation declares once more because of God's goodness and affection and love for his people and not due to your performance, that his mercy is new for you. Which means you can never be too far gone for God's mercy. You can never be too broken for God's mercy. You can never be too messy for God's mercy and you can never be too sinful for God's mercy because his mercy is new. Do you get this, family? And if you're listening now and if this feels like you, then will you take this moment now? Don't let it pass you by. 
to ask for God's mercy and then trust that, that God keeps his promises and trust that when he says his mercy is new this morning, that that is for you today, right now, wherever you are at, whatever sin you've committed, what, however far you feel, however broken you feel, his mercy is new for you now. See, I've been talking a lot about gentle mercy and painful mercy because, again, most of the time it doesn't feel like mercy in the moment. But, man, there are moments where God's mercy is so real and so gentle and so kind. I still remember when my family found out about my, my addiction and my abuse, and everything came to the light. And they were sitting across the room from me. And with tears streaming down their face, they look at me. And you have to realize, I grew up in a conservative, Christian, strict background where partying and drugs and alcohol, like that was not tolerated. And yet when all of it comes to the surface, my parents look at me with tears in their eyes and they said, we are not giving up on you. We love you. We are gonna get through this together. And then they stood up from their chair and they walked over to me. And they didn't hit me, they didn't shame me, they didn't berate me, they grabbed me and pulled me close and held me as we all cried. As the weight of my sin came falling down on me, they held me up. That was a gentle mercy. And I've experienced countless gentle mercies in my life. But sometimes it doesn't go that way. Sometimes we have to experience God's painful mercy. Because just moments earlier, my family had sat at the, the breakfast table and looking at the test results of my drug test and finding that I had nine substances that were active in my system at that moment. And to look up and to see your parents as they look at their baby boy and you can see their hearts begin to break as they realize how broken the situation is. That did not feel like a gentle mercy. That was a painful mercy. And we need to remember Mercy is defined as kindness shown towards someone whom you have the right or power to punish. And God had every right to punish me in my addiction, to let me keep spiraling in my addiction, to have my parents kick me out of their house, to let me live on the street and overdose or to let me die. It was only an act of love that my addiction came to the light that my family found out. Even if it hurt so bad, it was the process that I needed to find healing. And hear me, it may feel like punishment at the time, but it's actually God allowing that pain for us to experience it, for us to be broken down, for it to drive us to our knees and on our knees to cry out our repentance to God and our total reliance on Jesus' goodness, not my performance. And God, God is calling us once more to step into his painful mercy now, this next part, family, I must say I'm a bit scared to share with you today because, well, 
many of you don't know me that well, and I don't know most of you, and I'm not even sure if we're ready to have this conversation. You have to realize, I had this sermon outlined weeks ago, and then over the last few weeks, I watched a video that changed that. I watched as for eight minutes and 46 seconds, my brother in the faith, my brother in the family of God, a follower of Jesus, George Floyd, was killed right in front of my eyes. And that's on the back of Breonna Taylor being shot while she is asleep in her own home and Ahmed Arbery being shot while he is out jogging. And these deaths have sparked deep, deep wounds in our nation of racial pain, of questions, of anger and frustration. And so many of my friends are feeling all of that. And I've spoken to my friends who are leading protests and I've spoken to my friends who are police officers on the front lines. I've spoken to my liberal friends in Seattle and my conservative friends in Texas. I've discussed and cried with black, brown, and white followers of Jesus trying to find our way through this mess and through this pain and through this anger and through this hurt and figuring out how do we love Jesus in this moment and also love our neighbor as ourselves. And so as I stared at my outline, I felt God clearly direct me to be rewriting parts of it last week for you. And so even in this moment, as I am scared, I'm called to be more faithful to what God told me to tell you today. Because we worship a God who isn't surprised, right? And me speaking to you today isn't an accident. So let me first address that some of you may be feeling uncomfortable or upset at the mention about race or racism during a church service. And, and even at the ra- mention of the word racism, maybe you even feel a little bit defensive. And let me first say, I understand. I've been there. As a white guy from Texas, I get it. But I so hope at CTK that you are not too uncomfortable because this isn't the first time we've discussed it. Pastor Grant has preached on racism just a few years back. This is part of what we try to do at CTK. And still, if you are uncomfortable, I pray that the words of Tim Keller help you enter this conversation with Holy Spirit-empowered courage. Tim Keller writes, the evil of racism is a biblical theme a sin the gospel reveals and heals. So we should be teaching about it routinely in the course of regular preaching. So it is absolutely crucial to speak up about the biblical teaching on racism, not just now in this moment, but routinely. So let me be clear. This isn't just a political issue. This is a kingdom of God issue. This is a sin issue. This is a gospel issue. And as gospel people, we must be faithful to routinely speak up. So family, with all understanding and all honor and all grace to you, can we step into this painful moment together? Family, we have an opportunity in front of us to look at the world and to see all the pain and the anger and the hurt and the disunity and the protests and the racism, and we have a choice in front of us. We can either respond in like kind with anger and fear and judgment and bitterness and apathy, or we have an opportunity 
to view this painful moment as a mercy from God. It is going to be a painful mercy, but a mercy nonetheless. Because like me and my addiction, we are experiencing a deep pain as our sin is being found out and being brought into the light so that we can heal. It is our historical sins of slavery, of racism, of segregation, of Jim Crow, of racial violence, and of our silence. And it is painful. It hurts. As a white guy from Texas, I understand how uncomfortable and confusing and heartbreaking this moment is. But can we be the people with audacious enough hope to see all this discomfort and pain as letting God experience it as a mercy? Because remember, God has every right to punish injustice and sin. But instead, he is choosing a painful mercy to draw us closer to him. So why do we do this? We do this because God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God's mercy is new every morning, and God is pouring out his mercy now. So will we claim it? CTK, will we have the wisdom and posture not to be defensive or divisive or even to be apathetic and just throw up our hands and go, I don't understand and I don't care, but to recognize the pain of our cultural moment that God is giving us a mercy to grow us, to refine us, to heal us, to free us, to lead us to repent from what we were warned about decades ago, that Dr. King warned the church that the most segregated hour in America is on Sunday morning, and yet we never had the courage or the humility to fix it. We can't be apathetic in this moment because Jesus was never apathetic. Jesus always chose love, and he always chose standing up for the pain and the hurt that he saw in the world. Can we use this mercy to turn away from our addiction to comfort and to instead seek his will, his way, and his upward call for our lives and for the call of the church to repent of our silence towards the pain of others and instead seek unity in diversity? Because family, the Bible gives us a clear picture of what the vision of the church was always meant to be. In Revelation 7, it says that, that the people are gathered together before the throne of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And it says that people from every tribe, every language, and every nation gather together and with one voice say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So why do we do this? Because God is faithful. God keeps his promises God's mercy is new every morning and God is pouring out his mercy right now. So are we going to be a part of that? Because I believe we can. I wouldn't be preaching this sermon if I didn't. And I believe in Jesus. I believe in his church. And I believe in God who is close to the brokenhearted and the oppressed. And I believe that this painful mercy could actually be the moment that God uses to spark another great awakening in the church in America. And if that's true, if we have the audacity to believe that that's true, will we then fully allow ourselves to experience this painful mercy as a time of refinement and a time of intimacy, a time of healing and drawing closer to God? And if we do that, then we will become people of mercy. 
and I won't spend too much time on this because we don't have a whole lot of time left, but when we experience God's mercy vertically, then we are called to share his mercy horizontally. If you If God gives you the gift of mercy, and if you keep it to yourself, that doesn't make you holy, that just makes you stingy, right? You were called to be a conduit of God's mercy, not a container. We are called to give and receive mercy, and isn't that what we need right now, that people who are just saturated with the mercy of God, that when the pressures of life and the pressures of culture push on them, that like a sponge, the mercy of God just flows out of them. So we are going to be people that are gonna be quick to forgive others who have hurt us in the past. We're gonna let go of bitterness towards those who've harmed us. We are gonna build bridges and we are gonna love people who are different than us. And also, we are going to repent. We're gonna ask for mercy and forgiveness where both our direct action and our silence have harmed others. See, in this moment, as people of mercy, during times of racial protest, we would do well to listen to the cries and the testimonies of our black and brown brothers and sisters, to hear their stories, to watch their teachings, to read their books. I've recommended a few books that I cannot, I cannot plead with you to read as highly as I can. Both of these books that I recommend, Insider, Outsider, and Woke Church, both of them speak with a beautiful, hopeful, gospel-centered, biblically saturated call for the church to be what it was always destined to be, where black, brown, and white people are not united by politics, are not united by skin color, but are united by the blood of Christ that claims them as a new family and claims them as the new creation itself. And so as a family... When our black and brown brothers and sisters are hurting and crying out, then the church is called to rise up, not stay silent. To stand up with the power of the Holy Spirit pushing us forward to speak out with boldness for our brothers and sisters. This is what being people of mercy in this moment looks like. And hear me, we do not do this because it agrees with every bit of our politics. We don't do this because it's simple or easy. We don't do this because it's the path of least resistance and it's not gonna hurt. And we don't do this to cater to social pressure. We do this, church, because we believe in a God who made every man and woman in his image according to Genesis 127. And according to that, every man and woman is deserving of honor, empathy, and respect. We do this because we follow a God who heard our cries and as the person of Jesus, although God is so distant, so other, built a bridge and drew near to us in our moment of pain. And so when we hear the cries of our brothers and sisters, we build a bridge and we draw near. We do this because God is faithful to keep his promises God's mercy is new every morning and God is pouring out a mercy now. We, will we claim it? And let me be clear, all of this, all this work that's ahead of us, all that the God is doing right now, all of it begins and ends with the good news of Jesus who gave up his life for others, who forgave those who were actively crucifying him and who served the least of these and the marginalized of his culture. That is why we do this, because Jesus showed us a better way. Family, we have 
a beautiful calling in front of us. It is filled with gentle mercy and painful mercy. It is gonna be filled with resting in God's love and care, knowing that God has already said we're good enough, but then it's also gonna be filled with working to solve injustice, heal pain, stand up for the voiceless and marginalized, and heal our broken land because God's mercy is new every morning and it will never come to an end. So in closing, (laughs) I'm not sure where to go from here. Why do we aim to be people of mercy? Because the scriptures call us to it. The gospel of Jesus calls it to us. Why do we stand up for black and brown people who are hurting? Because the scriptures call us to it and the gospel calls us to it. So what, what do you take away from this sermon? Well, if you are listening right now and you are hurting and you feel the shame, you feel the weight of your sin, Maybe today what you needed to hear was how to claim God's mercy vertically, just you and God. So if that's you, hear me. No matter what is going on, no matter how broken you feel, no matter how much your sin feels like it is weighing on you and suffocating you, please hear me now. God's mercy is new for you today. It may be gentle, it may be painful, but God's mercy is for you. I believe it because I've experienced it. So no matter what you've done, lean into that promise and God is faithful to keep his promises. You can know it by knowing that God's mercy is for you and then you internalize it by actually not just knowing it in your mind but believing it in your heart that God's mercy is new for you today. You declare it that when shame and and bitterness and anger and the attacks of Satan come upon you, that in that dark night you proclaim his mercy is new with the rising sun. And let the light of his mercy penetrate the darkness. And then you share it. As the mercy begins to fill you, you begin to share that mercy with others in your life. Be a person that extends mercy and asks for mercy from those that you've hurt. And some of you, you needed to hear a word about how God's mercy is for us horizontally. That God is inviting us into a deep and painful mercy now. And so I pray that at CTK, we can live up to what the prophet Isaiah called the people of God to be. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So we need to know this mercy by educating ourselves. Read the books that I recommended. Listen to the stories of others. Even if you don't fully agree, even if it doesn't fully align with your politics, be a person of empathy and just hear the stories of your brothers and sisters in pain. And then internalize it. Prayerfully consider what it looks like to be a peacemaker in this time, not a peacekeeper where we sweep conflict under the rug and just kind of make sure that everything's kind of hunky-dory. No, what peacemaker, biblical peacemaking means that we step into the conflict, trusting and knowing that God's wholeness and peace and reconciliation is waiting for us on the other side of the conflict. And then we declare it. We become advocates of peace and mercy and justice in the world in the name of Jesus. And then we share it by sharing the goodness of God's mercy to your friends, to your community, and to your city. Family, we, we all need the mercy of God every morning, all the time personally and collectively. And since we are the people of God, and since we have so, 
since God has so lavishly given his mercy to us, then let our lives be marked by the same never-ending mercy that God first showed us. Let us extend that never-ending mercy to others. Amen? So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and ask for you to just pray with me now. God, you... You promised that you are establishing your kingdom and so we declare that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in this moment. We're confused and unsure of where to move forward, how to move forward, but Jesus, you showed us a better way so can we faithfully walk in your steps, Jesus? Not the steps that we think, but the steps that scripture reveals to us, can we walk in your steps? But Jesus, I know myself, I know I don't have the courage to walk boldly in the steps that you've called your church to. So Holy Spirit, will you give us the gift of courage in this time? Give us the courage to seek and trust the righteousness of Christ that he's so lavishly given us and the justice of Christ that are the pillars of your throne, Father. Let us be busy, not by trying to prove how good we are, but let us be busy as an act of worship doing your kingdom work. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.